Okay, can I ask you please to open your Bibles, if you have them, at Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to read the first 11 verses together. They will come up on the screen here as well, but and I'm reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. So this is Paul speaking, obviously, to the Ephesian church, and he says this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or, or who is covetous, that's an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, and take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Okay, well, look, we are entering chapter 5, okay? And, um, and certainly in the first two verses of chapter 5, the tone is about to change very considerably from where we have been in chapter 4. And to be honest, it's quite a relief. Certainly the first two verses are quite a relief from chapter 4. And I was trying to think, what, what, what's it like, this sort of change and uh, in my mind, have you ever watched one of those action, all action films? Where, you know, where it's kind of like high, high octane, constantly on, something like Transformers. Anyone, anyone watch Transformers? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what that's like, don't you? It's just go, 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 isn't it, all the time. It's loud and people are shooting and things are collapsing and our hero and our heroine are running away from the bad guys and then there are motorbikes that are screaming at you all the time and it's just bluntly after 20 minutes of this, it is exhausting. And you're just thinking, thinking I'm not sure I could take much more of this. And then after about 20 minutes, the director of the film has mercy on you. And suddenly, you come into a calmer scene. Do you know what I mean? Suddenly, things have changed. Suddenly, our hero and our heroine have broken away from these bad guys who are chasing them. And uh, what they've done is that suddenly it's nighttime, and they've found a place that they can just sort of bed down for the night, and it's safe. And they maybe light a fire. And instead of a thousand different camera angles, you know, making you go slightly cross-eyed, there's just the one camera angle, and just, we're just listening to this couple talk, and we discover maybe just at the beginning, they're beginning to fall in love. Just, well, you know, they haven't quite worked it out yet, but that's sort of what's going on, there's sort of love in the air, but they're not kind of sure about it. And it's just calm. We have calmed right down. And we think, oh, thank goodness. A karma scene. Well, I think the, these first two verses of Ephesians are a bit like this karma scene because the tone changes and the subject changes. 
But if you look at the, the last seven verses of chapter 4, the previous chapter, it is very much like the action film. Uh, Paul has been hitting these Ephesians with a long list of do's and don'ts. He says, do this, don't do that. Don't even think about doing that. What about this? It's like he's, he's trying to tell them how to live the Christian lifestyle using bullet points. And he just fires them uh, at them. Just look, look at this. He says this, put away falsehood. This is about, about the amount of detail he gives. Put away falsehood, he says to them. Speak the truth. Don't sin when you get angry. Deal with anger quickly. Don't steal. Get a job and earn some honest money, he says to them. Share, by the way. When you get that money, share with those in need. Don't let corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. I know what you're like. Get, don't, uh, get rid of slander and bitterness and wrath. Be kind to each other. Forgive each other. You see what I mean? It's like bang, bang, bang. It's just, wow, instruction is pouring out of Paul in chapter 4. And of course, the thing about this, I mean, this is impactful for us today, but Paul knew the Ephesians. So this little list that he's prepared here is absolutely speaking right into real lives, real situations in Ephesus. So you imagine we're the Ephesus church, and we've gathered for our main meeting, and somebody says, right, Paul sent us a letter. We think, oh, good, good. And we hear this letter, and we read, and we get to chapter 4, and we're thinking, oh, oh hang on a minute. Yeah, well, I, I do that one, and oh, I don't do that one. And it's speaking right into you, this list, because you know this is some of the stuff you do. Paul has not spared them here, has he? He has kind of machine-gunned them with truth. Bang, 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 bang. And um, it is uh, quite exhausting, really. So they've just had this whole bunch of things that they know are true chucked at them. The thing about that is that it can be quite hard to hear truth, can't it? You know, we're, most of us here are Christians, and we would say we value the truth, don't we? I don't think there's anyone here, if I said, put your hands up, who values the truth? You'd say, oh, no, I don't do that. No, you all would. We value the truth. We love the Bible because we say, well, it's the truth. But it doesn't stop it being hard to hear, though, sometimes, does it? Do you know what I mean? When the truth comes, like chapter 4... You can still think, oh, wow, hang on a minute, wait a minute. I think the Ephesians have found this little list very difficult to listen to. In fact, I think they found the whole of chapter 4 hard. Because do you remember how chapter 4 starts? What's the, what's the subject? What is one of the subjects at the beginning of chapter 4? He's talking about immaturity. Do you remember that? And he says to them, in a very nice way, basically says, you're all immature. Did you know that? And you've got to mature because it's dangerous for Christians, he says, to remain immature. And he lists three ways that it's dangerous. He says, Look, you're vulnerable to these things. You've got to grow up. So that's how he sort of starts. And then he machine guns them with truth. Do you see what I mean? Chapter four is not an easy chapter to listen to. Truth it's hard sometimes. Truth might be truth, but it's not always 
easy, sometimes it can even be unwelcome in our hearts, even though we agree with the idea of truth. I can remember, uh, I must have been about 19 or 20, and I had just joined this church. And one of the jobs that I did, is I gave a lift to a little old lady who lived uh, in Western Braisted Way. Now, can I just say, this is a very, very lovely, godly lady, right? Can I just say that right at the beginning? She's a very smiley lady, godly lady. And I used to take her home on a fairly regular basis. But there was one thing about this lady. She could talk. I mean, she could talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. To the point where I used to think she doesn't even stop for air. It's extraordinary. She's got some kind of vent around the back where she sucks in air so that she just... And I just thought, it's like standing in front of an avalanche. I can't, I can't. I, I was not, you can tell, I'm not handling this well. So anyway, I'm taking her home one day, and I can remember we get to her house, and we park outside her house. Now, there's a kind of procedure, isn't there, when you give someone a lift home. You arrive at their house... They say, thank you very much. And you say, yes, absolutely no problem. God bless you. Yes, God bless you. Bye-bye. They open the door. They get out. They go to their home. Simple procedure. We understand that. Not on this day. Not on this day. This day, that was the time this dear lady, remember, she's lovely. This dear lady decides to talk. And talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And I am getting more and more frustrated. And I'm sitting in the driver's seat, and I'm, you know, I'm squirming in my seat. And inwardly, I'm beginning to say, just, you know, God, please, just, there's your house. Look, just over there. All you've got to do is open the door, get out, and go, God, this is just unbearable. I can't take this. It's just, I'm, and this is all, I mean, I'm English. I don't say any of this, obviously. But it's going on inside me, and I'm getting more and more frustrated and angry, and I'm probably, I can't remember, but I'm probably thinking about Sunday lunch, you know, roast chicken back home. I want to be there. Why am I here? God. And clear as anything, uh, halfway through this, I feel God break into my thoughts. And I feel him say this, Adam, haven't you got 10 minutes to listen to an elderly lady that's going to be on her own for the rest of the week. Ow. I am now feeling complete conviction. I'm sitting in my car. I am totally convicted. I mean, she's still talking, obviously, but I am just, <laughs> I am completely convicted, feeling absolutely, and I just sort of recover myself a bit. Oh, Lord, yeah, no, you've nobbled me on a lack of love. Lack of compassion, lack of patience, and a selfishness. I absolutely, I had had a bit of a chapter four moment. God had come, boom, chapter four, Adam. And I'm immediately now thinking, I've got to do this differently. So I inwardly, I don't say anything inwardly, I'm thinking, take as long as you like. No problem. Would you like me to undo the window? i get you a cup of tea if you like. We can spend all day here. It's not a problem. See, what had happened, truth had come. It had exposed me. Ow, didn't like it. But truth had come. Now I'm able to make a different decision. I'm able to make a decision to be less selfish, more patient, more loving, because truth had come. Truth is we need chapter four in our lives. We don't like this stuff. 
This is a, oh, really? Ow, oh, no, go away. But God is still saying, you need to hear this. Still hard to hear, though, isn't it? All this stuff, hard to hear when truth comes. And so this is the, the chapter we've been in, and that's why these first two verses of chapter 4 are so welcome. Because Paul changes the subject <laughs> bluntly. He's talking about something else. He changes the tone. Because he stressed these dear Ephesians all the way through chapter 4. Now he is about to soothe them. And he changes the subject and he starts to talk about the love of God. And he reminds them that they are loved. So he ties off the last chapter, sums up the whole of chapter 4, really, in these first few words. He says, therefore, be imitators of God. All that stuff, all that advice I've been giving you, the summary of all of that is, look, copy God. Take a look at God and let him be your example. Stop copying the wrong examples. Have a look at him. It could be a mimic, actually, that word. It could mean mimic or copy. Imitate God. Take a look at him and say, oh, that's his, the example. I'll copy that example then. So that's how he kind of sums up chapter 4, and then he leads us into this subject of the love of God. And he says, I want to remind you right now that you are loved. I want to remind you right now that you are children of God. I know I've just told you how rotten you are, but don't forget you are children of God. God knew how rotten you were when he called you. He knew so I want to remind you of what he thought. Even before you had repented, he loved you. And now you have believed God has brought you into his own family. He hasn't brought you into any old family. God himself said, hey, I want you for my family. You come in. Look at the favor of God on you. You are loved by an amazing father. Remember, earlier on, Paul had said, we have been rooted and established in love. I want to say this to you. When you are facing up to your failures, when you have had a chapter four moment in your life, and if you are a believer, you will get these. Maybe God will come and reveal something to you, or maybe you'll just wake up one day and realize, do you know what, I'm really grotty in this area. I'm really envious Actually, I can be quite spiteful. I lack love in this area. Or maybe a friend of yours has just held a mirror up to you. <laughs> a friend that you trust and said, you know, you know I love you dearly, don't you? Yeah, yeah. You know, what, you know what's coming then, don't you? You are so selfish. Do you know that? I mean, ow, that, that hurts, doesn't it? But when those moments come, the chapter four moment has come, the thing you need at that point is to remember that God loves you. That he's for you. That he's not against you. Because you can just read all of chapter 4 as failure and go away thinking, I am a failure. But God says, I love you. Because that's what Paul has just done. He's listed all their failures and then reminded them that God loves them. I want to say this. The Bible says this, God disciplines those whom he loves. God disciplines those whom he loves. 
In our social media world at the moment, lots of discipline is being handed out. Lots of condemnation is coming. Have you noticed that? In the conversations that happen in social media, it, it runs something like this. This is true about you. That means you're a terrible person and we want to destroy you so that you never speak again on this subject. That's the tenor of our social media conversation. Have you noticed that? Oh, it's just me. Okay, fair enough. Well, I'm telling you, out there, there's lots of condemnation. So lots of correction is being brought. But it's being brought with the spirit to say we want to crush you. Because we're having a conversation, you know, a political conversation, something like that. And we want to completely remove you, destroy you. Now, the danger is, church, that we think correction is like that. But we must remember, God says, no, I discipline those whom I love. So the discipline of God, these chapter four moments, they come because he loves you. He's for you. He wants to build you up. He wants to see you fly. He wants to do you good. That's why he brings discipline. Not like the world brings discipline. No, the world brings discipline to destroy. I think it's really important, particularly for the younger generation. I, don't want, you, I want you to see what is behind the discipline of God. Does that, can you got that? Okay, good. Okay, so Paul uh, introduces us to the subject of the love of God. And then in verse 2, he tells us, I want you now to walk in love. I want you to walk in love. Now that makes sense, doesn't it? Because what are the two main commandments that Jesus gives to us? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. Right, so Paul is sort of encapsulating that by saying, hey, Ephesians, walk in love. Now, um, so I read that to mean this. What Paul is saying is, I want you to love people as you go through your life. When you come across people, love them. When you're talking to God, love him and honor him. So in other words, he's saying, give away love. That's what it means. Walk, walk in love. Give away love where you go. Now that's quite hard if you don't know you're loved first. Giving love away is hard if you don't know your love. The Bible says, we love because he first loved us. Yes. So we're able to love people because we know the love of God. So this is potentially quite a hard thing. Question, how do we experience the love of God? If that's so important for us to be able to walk in love, how do you and I experience the love of God? You know, there are many Christians who would say, I don't know what it is to be loved by God. I don't understand that. I would suggest knowing the love of God is a profoundly important thing for your development as a Christian. To have an encounter of the love of God for you personally is very important, certainly if you're going to walk in love. Now, Paul, I think, gives us a bit of a hint in this verse as to how we can do this. Because what's he doing? What does Paul do here? He says, 
I'm pointing you to the example of Jesus Christ and Jesus on the cross. Hello, you with me? Yep. I'm pointing you to the example of Jesus on the cross. I particularly, he says, want you to see the um, sacrificial nature of his death. He says he gave himself up for us. Jesus was a sacrifice, a, a fragrant offering. If you are someone who struggles personally to know the love of God, I would ask you to do something this week. I would ask you to go through the four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and read the account of Jesus on the cross. Jesus, the sacrifice, the Lamb of God on the cross. Read all four of them and ask yourself the question, why is he there? Particularly, I want you to think about the sacrificial nature of his death. What does that mean? It means this. It means he took your place. It means, Christians, that you and I sinned and deserved punishment. You deserved punishment. You deserved it. But God said, you know what, I'm not having that. I'm going to send someone else along who will take the punishment that you deserve, and I'm going to put it on them instead. And look who he sent. God the Father sends his own son. The Son of God is sent to take the hit for you. Not just anybody. He sent his Son. Wow, you mean him? Yeah, him. He is going to come to take the hit for you. And not only is it his, his Son, it's his only Son. I, I've got two sons. And I've got to tell you, I love them both dearly. And if somebody said to me, uh, Adam... Would it be okay if you give one of your sons uh, to help out a very large group of people? Uh, uh, now, they will have to die, your son, but um, if they do that, this whole group of people, I mean, they've done some stuff wrong, but they'll all get off, and, and they will be... Do you know what my answer would be? It would be no. No, they're going to get what they deserve. I'm not going to give up my son. Are you crazy? I mean, I love you dearly, but no. No, I'm not going to give up my son. God the Father does. He does something that I can only imagine. The pain in his heart must have been extraordinary. But he said, yes. So what does that mean for you? What does that tell you about how God feels about you? Tells you that he loves you deeply and passionately. Please spend some time this week just thinking about that. Okay, let's go back to our film. Okay, so we're back to our film and we have enjoyed our scene. Do you remember our hero and our heroine? Do you remember them? Oh, come on. Yes, you remember them. And they have had enjoyed this calm scene. Okay, and they've had a good night's sleep and they've sort of begun to wake up to what they might be feeling for each other. Uh, but it's now morning. And of course, this is an action film. So that means the action starts again. And it starts with a boom, boom. And Paul comes in in verse 3 with this. And he says, But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetous must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking which are out of place. Let there be thanksgiving instead. 
Listen to verse 5. Look at the emphasis here. You may be sure of this. Emphasis. You may be sure of this. That everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that's an idolater, has no inheritance. Wow. No inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you. Further emphasis. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. We are awake again suddenly, aren't we? See what I mean? Oh, the action has started. What? What are you saying? Extraordinary. And of course, we know that uh, Paul would have known, as we said earlier, knew the Ephesians. And he knew that some of this stuff was going on, no doubt. Right, let's be clear about what he is saying here. Because he highlights six things in this passage. And uh, we need to take a look at them. So here are the six things. And I think very briefly we just need to go through them. Just to to make sure we understand. Because freshly each generation needs to understand what's being said. The world is telling, uh, telling us what it thinks about sexual ethics all the time. So what does the Bible mean when it says do not be sexually immoral? Well, it means this. It means that sex is only appropriate when you are married. And by married, I mean one naturally born man and one naturally born woman who comes together in a permanent, lifelong commitment to each other. And they've probably done that publicly. Once that commitment, that marriage commitment has been made, God says, sex is fantastic. Go for it. It's a good thing. Remember, God designed sex. He is no prude. He, he, you know, he came up with the idea and said, yeah, this is great here. But it's saying in any other context, sex is not good. It is sinful. It is damaging and must not even be named among you. Then he talks about impurity. He leaves quite a lot of this stuff quite open, all right? So he doesn't give detail here, and I think that's intentional because that's going to be different for different people. But anything that makes you feel impure, stuff that's wrong, that could be sexually impure or it could be wider impurity. He says, no, these things are wrong. He talks about covetousness, which is greed. Actually, the Bible dictionary defines covetousness ultimately as the worship of self. I take stuff that I want because I am the center of my universe. How are you doing on greed? How are you doing on greed? And he goes on to talk about filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking. Used to work in a publishing office. We used to face two deadlines a week, and I can assure you a lot of that stuff floated around the office. There was a lot of swearing. Swearing is included in this. When you are hearing that all day, every day, it does affect you. It really does. I'm delighted to say the office I currently work in is very different to that. (laughs) But the old office, no, no, there was a lot of that. How are you doing on, on these things? Now, having said all of what I've just said, I think one of the dangers of a passage like this is that we assume the main thing that I'm now saying is I'm giving you a morality lecture. You know what I mean? It's like Paul is waving his finger. 
You be, be, be good boys and girls. So stop sleeping around, stop swearing, stop telling dirty jokes, and stop being greedy. Well, I guess you could see it that way. But I have to say, I think the scriptures that we're looking at go way beyond that. It's far, far deeper and beyond that. See, when you became a Christian, provided you have become Christians, a, a profound change happens in your life. Profound change. Now, you may not have been aware of it when you became a Christian, but Paul talks about an old self and a new self. So suddenly, you've got this new self. You used, before you became a Christian, you were an old self. Then you become a Christian and you've got this new self. He talks, Jesus spoke about being born again. That's what happens when we become a Christian. He says something brand new happens inside of you. you, you you're new. We see the Bible talk about moving from a kingdom of darkness. So when you were born, you were rooted firmly in a kingdom of darkness. That's where you lived. But when you became a Christian, you were uprooted out of that kingdom and you were placed into a kingdom of light and you become a child of the light. The Bible says this, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. Ha! When you become a Christian, that doesn't happen to non-Christians. You are basically no longer the person that you once were. Did you know that? You haven't just taken on an ideology. This isn't like a political persuasion. Oh, I quite fancy that. Yeah, I seem to agree with that. I'll go with it. No, 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 no. No, no, the Holy Spirit's profoundly changed you on the inside. That's what's happened to you. Now, what that means is this. You now need a different environment from the one you used to have in order to flourish. So that's what Paul is doing, I think, in some of these scriptures. He's unpacking these are some of the things you need to get rid of so that your new born-again self can now flourish and fly. That's what he's really, I think, talking about. So he says, put off these old things. Put off sexual immorality and impurity and swearing and all that stuff. Get rid of it. If you don't, it's like... Do you remember the old Ready Brick adverts? Remember you used to have a couple of those and then you would glow. Do you remember that? Oh, well, okay. People of a certain generation might remember those. So imagine you're glowing, okay? You are now a child of the light. Imagine, but if you don't put this stuff off, it's like you're trying to live in the kingdom of darkness as a child of light. And you're looking around thinking, this doesn't quite work. What's happening here? Why is everything so grim? Why don't I like that? What's happening here? I don't feel comfortable here. No, because it's not your home anymore. You're a child of the light. You're now a ready back kid. And you live in the kingdom of light. So it just doesn't go anymore. You know, there's a lot of talk, isn't there, at the moment about being true to your true self. You know that conversation? You've got to find who you are and be true to your true self. Christians, let me say this. This is your true self. If you live like...